Welcome, Pastor Tom. Thanks. I'm glad to be here with you and looking forward to having some conversations. How long have you been in ministry? Well, um, you know, those are measurables, you know, with, uh, you know, how does a, how does a person in ministry, do you, do you just, do you answer that based on how much you got paid? If you got paid, was I being paid? Because um, I've been involved in Christian communities since I was eight years old. And so to say I've been involved in ministry, well, I helped out with my dad cleaning the basement, you know, back when I was nine. Right. So, but I know you're thinking more particularly around pastoral ministry and specifically that, you know, uh, kind of thing. So I would measure it based on um, about 40 years. In 1983, I began uh, vocational paid ministry, working at a camp as a missionary, supported by some great folks at a little church in Framingham, Mass., where I grew up, Saxonville Baptist Church. Great folks wanted to send little Tommy Klinkscale off and support him, and they did. And it was an incredible time for me in my life of solitude and, and, and communion with God. It, uh, for most of it, I lived in a home by myself and began to uh, fall more deeply in love with Jesus. And my love for reading was born prior to that. I, did, I w- If I looked at a book, I kind of got a sour stomach. And, and, and thereafter, God just uh, birthed this love for learning and books. And um, and then uh, and God matured me over the years. I used to have somewhat of a bad relationship with my books. If people treated them poorly, I didn't like them anymore. Um, but over the years, I've come to not um, have such a hard heart about my books. And even most recently, I gave away 3,000 books to other emerging leaders, and we shipped off a bunch through a ministry that gets them to other nations where access to good books and Christian books is beyond their reach. So um, over the years, and again, I'm expanding a little bit more maybe than you wanted, but in that 40 years, I'll just give a quick flyover. I served in every possible capacity at the camp, and Moved into leadership at the summer as the summer camp director, and following that time, over a couple of years, I uh, I went to college and earned a degree in biblical counseling, working in various roles of ministry and inpatient psychiatric units. I worked for Rafa Christian Counseling over that time. I was a co-youth youth and young adult pastor in a church plant in 1985. Began to work in the college and career department at First Baptist West Palm Beach, where Jack Graham was the pastor at the time. He left. We were all sad uh, uh, when he left First Baptist in 1989 and uh, to answer a call of Prestonwood Baptist Church in Texas, which has about 57,000 members now. Good man. From there, various roles in church. As I went on to earn my Master's of Divinity, I worked alongside a good friend, Galen Blum, for a, a church plant in South Orlando. Following seminary, I took a job outside of direct ministry and worked in a secular job for two years. And then we moved to Western Mass, a real small rural town where I solo pastored um, a church in Charlemont, Mass. We began ministry there with eight members of this struggling rural church. And then uh, God was gracious, and the church grew to about 60. And believe it or not, that was a maximum space-filling group of people in our little sanctuary there. And we had a thriving children youth ministry, began a regional work with the youth there, and about five to seven rural churches all joined in that and it was a rich time and we also had some challenges to it and we learned uh, a lot there as my wife and I walked along with our children who some were born even at that time at Community Bible Church. Following that we returned to Central Florida where I was uh, where I had finished seminary and I pastored a church in Apopka, Florida for eight years before we returned here to Massachusetts where I am a pastor at the chapel in the chapel downtown. I've been here since December of 2008. And I would say in those 40 years, uh, those churches uh, saw God do a good 
work there and bringing revitalization from an eight-member church to about a 60-member church in Florida from about a 35 to 40-member church to at our heyday about 150 church uh, people and then and then we came here to the chapel. So you, you can see he's definitely been around the block. Uh, a couple times, a couple times. Thank you. 3,000 books that you gave away, that's incredible considering. I mean, I've never, I remember when they were out there on the table, right? You just spread all out. That's an incredible amount of books. So I've, n- I've never met anybody, I don't think, who's read as many books as you do now. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a love now. I mean, I, I love to learn, and, and I consider it in some ways. I mentioned, you know, I think we'll talk about this a little later on, but, um, um, but yeah, I, I I think I've gotten to know some people, and then some of the authors, uh, authors I've made it a commitment of mine to actually meet them and have a conversation with them. So several of the ones that are some of my favorites, I actually have had extended conversations or or small, we could say, friendships with even some of them. So, um, so what initially drew you to pursue life in ministry, and how did you discover that calling? Yeah, well, I had a... Um, so, like I said, I grew up in a great little church, Saxonville Baptist Church, had a um, pastor, Purchase, who lived on Purchase Street in Saxonville, Mass. was a great man and, and prayed for me every day. And when he found I went out into ministry, he um, he sent me a Bible and he called me and his wife and him, you know, sent me little checks of support as they knew I was going to ministry and they knew how hard it would be. They were retired and living in a retirement home at this point in time when I started ministry. And, um, but, um, so all those, these seed planting lovers of Christ that were a part of my life and, uh, growing up in Saxonville Baptist. But in 1982, when I, uh, genuinely believe I was born again and came to faith and, um, I felt this inexorable pull to serve God with my whole life in every way and with every ability that God has given me. And and I didn't know, really, I was kind of ignorant as to what all that meant until people started affirming my leadership in ministries I was involved with at church or, or even in the jobs that I did. I always moved into leadership and management. and and uh, But I must say, as it relates to um, my call to ministry, uh, my understanding at the time, I I, I had this framework that uh, to prepare for ministry would require a lot of education. And at that time in my life, i got to tell you, college and seminary frightened me beyond belief and seemed impossible given my bad academic record in high school, and we don't need to visit that in any detail. <laughs> but I was not a good student, um, such that even I had to take an extra year of high school to even graduate. Um so uh, so there was this huge emotional barrier for me. You know, I loved Jesus, wanted to serve, felt that pull, felt that call. But knowing the, 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 the steps to get there would require college and seminary, it made it seem to me at that point in time that it, it was a lost cause. There's no way I'm going to be able to do that. And it was not until I was asked by a very close friend um, that I worked with at the camp to check out this, his college and see if I could get accepted and uh and and I faced that fear. I I applied, you know, but I got to tell you, it wasn't that fearful for me because I thought there's no way they're going to accept me. I mean, my academic record was so bad. Um, 
But I doubted it, and I didn't think I was going to get accepted, and I was wrong. In the fall of 1985, I became a student at Palm Beach Atlantic College, now Palm Beach Atlantic University. And um, and and so to draw into the question proper maybe would be, you know, how did I discover my calling? Well, before I enrolled, I asked important people in my life, you know, mentors in my life, and people I respected in ministry, what what would be a wise pathway in preparing for pastoral ministry? And they all, on separate occasions, it wasn't like I had them in a group, room, you know, in a room, and we were all sitting there together. So now you answer. It was just like this conversation, two months later, another conversation. And each one to to a man, because they were all men that I approached, on separate occasions in time said, don't get a Bible degree if you're going to go into ministry. Get a counseling degree. Because they knew I was going to get all the Bible training I could ever want and more in seminary. So the school uh, that I was applying to that I didn't think I was going to get into had just rebuilt their whole program with Dr. Henry Brandt. And you can look him up if you want. Great man, serve God. Um, great biblical counseling person. It was a very solid program focused on biblical counseling, not traditional secular counseling training that happened to be housed in a Christian college, which I do think exists. It was really anchored and based on scriptures and it trained me to be a, a biblical counselor. So in 1985, they accepted me on probation. But um, because God had changed my heart and my, I loved learning now. So I, w- I was a good student. Not, not a, not, I was never an obsessed straight A kind of guy because I played sports and I had to work a job and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, that, so my call to ministry was absolutely, this is the only thing that is for me in life. I need to be in pastoral ministry. So the day Literally, the day I was saved, I felt that God call to say, you're going to be a pastor. Yeah, that's, that's great. And a couple of things there. Um, one was the interesting perspective about the counseling. I'm actually going to explore that in a separate podcast, go into that a little bit more detail. But it's just interesting. It's not what you typically hear. Oh, this is what you're going to do if you go into ministry. It's, it's really definitely a different route. Yep. Um, and the second was just the affirming. I feel like that that's a huge having decision affirmed by other people um, and that's what we kind of point our, our you know, older child to as well in the direction you're going to go is to make sure that you know, you've sought counsel and they've affirmed that yeah I, I do yeah I think a number of people might think that um, you know they love Jesus and they want to serve and they and you know and they and they see maybe pastoral ministry as that big impact kind of thing so they so they move toward it and they move into it but they really haven't had that calling or gifting affirmed by others and and for me it was it was always pressed on on me like I was resistant and these people would say this is what you're supposed to do like you you can't ignore this you're you're a leader you you have a heart for this you should do this so that was that was important for me at that time because I really was pretty insecure with you know myself you know at 25 years old 24 years old at the time Yeah, uh, I love your question because I love leading. Um, I I have that as a gift by God and His grace, and I and I love to lead, and 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 I hope I do it in humility. I don't want that to sound like oh he loves to lead, like he likes to be in control of people and things of that nature. And I certainly don't. Uh, I hope I don't have that sort of spirit about me in that sense. But I love I love being a lead pastor because I love seeing God use me as a leader to bring a church to life and awakened to his plan to bring his son's message of redemption and and help them understand and learn the instructions on living life in in the kingdom of god uh, through the teachings of christ and 
and uh, so that's a, that's an important thing for me, and I and I love leading um, communities in, in into that life, and I think a lot of communities don't have that life. I'm not done with my favorite parts yet, but no, no. I, so I, I, yeah, 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 right, yeah. So I, another favorite part uh, among many is, is to be able to, to really preach, to declare the message of the Bible to people weekly in, in gathered times. And, uh, you know, that as a lead pastor is generally a role that you carry, you know, and, and, and I cherish it and, and enjoy that. So one of my favorite parts of being a lead pastor is, is um, also sharing God's vision for his church, is creating a plan to move forward toward that vision and serving alongside one another as brothers and sisters in the mission of executing that plan. And and I, I would say, you know, that, you know, to say what are my favorite parts, you know, this should be, this could be maybe a standalone, you know, uh, talk because there's just so many parts that are wonderful about leading. Uh, but there are also those things that you uh, mentioned that I ignored a second ago, which is the least favorite parts. Yeah. Um, so uh, um, I I had someone here recently, even in my office, and they walked in and they said, "Pastor, how do you do it? How do you how do you hear and see all this stuff? And 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 it it, it wrecks me. I don't know how you do it because you." Because you you see this all the time, and I, I don't know how you do it. And, and they were really asking a question that was a personal struggle question for them, and um, in that they they carried it like they didn't know how to put it down. Um, so I, I, you know I did did answer that I think uh, in, in a way that I find helpful for me for them, and I and I hope it was a blessing to them. But it's hard, it's hard to see people suffer in a broken world and struggle with sin. You know, my least favorite parts is I see that. I, you know, I see it more than anybody sees it. You know, we come to church, you know, if you're a general church goer or a member and, you know, you're, you know, reasonably involved, you, you know, um, you don't see the pain. You know, you see the Sunday school class, you see a pretty good sermon and, you know, we sing some songs and, and you go to Bible studies and generally, you know, it's just nurturing and that kind of thing. But for me, you know, the least favorite part is seeing people suffer in a broken world and struggle with sin. And I, and I see so much of people's suffering and struggle with sin and and it and it stirs a deep ache in me for people to no longer suffer the effects of the harm they've endured and and or carry the weight of sin that they've yet to break free from uh, its power and its control in their lives and so investing in the life of sinners and sufferers and having them quit on god and faith and abandon it all i say that's my least favorite thing i've seen it in every church i've pastored and it's crushing it's it you know uh, is uh, the least favorite part. And, you know, these are things that I observe. They're not really things that are the least favorite things. I'll mention that in a second, you know, about some things practically that I do that I just are my least favorite parts of, of being a leader and, and, and a pastor because it's not just like I prepare a sermon, I teach Bible studies, and, you know, and, and, and you, you, you know, the church sends me a paycheck, and that, that's my, my life. It's, it's investing in the life of sinners and sufferers and having them quit on God and faith and abandon it all crushes me. Um, that's got to be up there in the least favorite things. And, and, um, and then, you know, alongside of that, growing in my love for others and having them walk away from our church family and, and, and or their faith altogether is, is, again, connected in some way, but really the least favorite thing when people walk away from Jesus or really, you know, like you invest in people, you pour into them, and um, 
and and they say bye. You know that that is probably it has to be the least favorite thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. In the things I must do kind of category of least favorite things, you know. So I have all sort of administrative tasks, and Tim, you know about this because uh, you have a role here that my details bump into your role. But my another least favorite part of leading a local church is administrative tasks for me. One is I'm not gifted at it, no excuse, and I stink at it, no excuse. Um, but I'm not good at them, and I don't like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Tim. We'll talk more later. <laughs> Yeah, it's a transition for me. That's a that's a that's a good question. Um, we're a great team. Obviously, God um, put us together, and I obviously believe that we've been married a number of years. But um, yeah, so her her strengths have definitely been gap fillers for me. And for a matter of fact, the most productive in terms of systems, functional structures, the the network that we've developed here as a network of churches. Um, the, the functional structures of this local community, you know, are, are is very much connected with the work of my wife alongside of me and, and her role as the church administrator. They, they would not have happened. I'm a, I'm a visionary. I'm a I'm a creator. Um, I, I like to bring things along, but um, but not in the details and, and, and the minutia. She's great at that. And so she's been. Uh, Stepping out of that, and we have another person stepping in. But my wife is so good at that. This is one of wonderful things um, about um, uh, the chapel, at least, uh, as far as what Shannon did was she put in these systems that are exist now that weren't there before. So we don't need as much of a person on the job and in the role because she has these systems that we have. We have all sorts of systems, and we have Acts 242 families that function in ways that don't require all these ministries or whatever uh, to be managed. Uh, anyway, it, it's been a very um, hard to have her step aside and move into other things. And she's she's moving into more relational things uh, and mentoring uh, focus in the life of our community. So, um, so anyway, um, you know, for me, um, the least favorite part would be, you know, that not have my wife here all the time. And, you know, she, she was my secretary, so I get to, you know, I get to um, spend time with my secretary in any way I like to. <laughs> Yeah, um, man, you you were asking some tough ones here, man. Um, but I, I, you know, I gotta say, if I were to say to my younger self, um, you know, when you're younger, you think you know it all, right. you know, and so there's that pride aspect of being young and thinking you have it have it all together. And I've always excelled at much of what I've done in my life, from table games to sports to. Um, being a student, uh, professors asked me to fill in to teach their classes in college. I mean, there's just all been all that kind of thing that fed me in this idea that I can do it all myself, you know. So I would go back to that younger self and say, don't do it alone, Tom. Don't do it. And uh, and, and I did that way too much. And, and, and for a matter of fact, I still suffer from this even as far along uh, as I am in ministry. Um and, you know, so there's this tension of 
of, of even building friendships and relationships in the context of our own community and, and seeking out mentoring uh, for me, which is, which is um, something I know is needed. So definitely say don't go it alone. I would say uh, have and enjoy friendships and, and with people and mentors. Um, and, uh, and I definitely was not good at seeking that out. And, and I, know, I know my kids, this is another thing, I know my kids might not think this to be the case, but I do think I did not neglect them as, as uh, ministry can be pretty invasive in a, in a pastor's life. And, you know, they did mention that, and my wife and I would have to kind of sit down and talk to him. You know, Dad's here for lunch every day, and he shot baskets with you at 10 o'clock because most dads are gone all day. You know, so we we had those conversations along the way. But um, if I, you know, would say to my younger self that I, 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 I'm sure I could have done better um, in paying more attention to my kids um, knowing my presence was there for them, and uh, and and I— could have sought more direction on pastoral ministry rhythms of being a father to my children and, and a husband to my wife. And, and then, and then the final thing that comes to my mind is, you know, I needed to take more time for my own personal aspirations and goals. I, I just have always been a 150% pouring into ministry. And I'm sure there was a tension there of wanting to succeed and, but also wanting to serve Christ. And, you know, so I, what I would say to my younger self is take time for your own personal hobbies and aspirations and goals and personal life and there was a time like when I was in Florida and I really was pursuing this intentionally and my my wife wanted me to do it because she knew I needed it too and so I took up golf um, and she bought me a membership and she bought me lessons and she said go away like you know I mean no no in a, it, with all the love you get out of here right so um but, you know, so that that was important and I needed to do it. You know, you know, I'd slip in, you know, I'd bring somebody along from, you know, from the church that I pastored and, you know, so you kind of double dip and have a recreational outlet, but also spend some time with people. But that's what I'd say. Personal aspirations, goals, personal life priorities, realizing that they will serve you well in ministry priorities. They're not like this thing that doesn't serve me well, like, oh, I could do this and now I'm going to go back here and do this. Like, that's part of being a healthy person and leader so uh, and then the last one would be uh, again I recall a conversation at an internship interview but really the one question this lady asked was tell me how you're going to love your wife as a pastor and I was like that's a that's a weird question I mean I didn't understand it at the time as much as I do now but I would say to my younger self focus on how to have a great love and live that love out well for your wife like really pursue that and, uh, and and I'm not saying any of these to say that, you know, I stunk in all those, but I definitely could have done better, and that's what I would have said to my younger self. Yeah, that's something I've noticed about, you know, the role of pastor. It's definitely not a nine-to-five job. Mm-hmm. It is so much more than that. I was coming back from college. I was interviewing the elders, and it was a late at night, you know, during the time. Uh, just, yeah, just a, a tough, tough role there. Um, so I know community is highly valued uh, at this church and how, how would you say you foster a sense of community within your congregation and why do you believe it's essential for the overall health of the church yeah um, well opening line is um, I'm writing a book about that so I will have a hard time keeping this short sure. but um, and, uh, and, I, and of course, you know, talking about priorities and et cetera, I've been writing this book for 10 years, so you can tell how well I'm really executing on that. But um, 
I think what you're asking is so important. It's a, it's, it's, it's a big question that needs to be answered well, rooted and grounded in a good biblical theology. But fostering a sense of a community necessitates a set of functional structures that are based on a clear set of biblical principles. And, and uh, you wouldn't think that, like fostering a sense of community is like, oh, make sure everybody's kind and loving to each other. But really there are these um, biblical essential principles that are a part of what leads to a set of functional structures in the, in, in the shaping of a community um, that, that fosters uh, a sense of community within the congregation. So I'm convinced churches that are not built with these essential materials will never take on the shape God has designed for them to take. That shape is what both creates the sense and fosters the sense. And sadly, another reality that emerges from the absence of the shape God has designed the church to be is the absence of the self-understanding of that local church that each and every part of it belongs and can only become who God desires them to be through this sense of community. So this question, um, if it, if, if I understood it correctly, is so big. Um, um, again, you know, I'm... I'm I'm trying to capture it in, in a book that I'd I'd like to write, and but it really is, you know. Um, there was this thing that was in. I was in a meeting one time. And the guy said, "You got to say something a thousand times before people um, hear it once." And so I think another thing is, you know, to foster a sense of community is to say it a thousand times. You know, let's do life together. Let's be together. You got to do life together, and and just repeating that refrain. Um, is another thing that's part of that. I mean, just to people get the sense that, you know, life together is what God's called us to, you know, read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, something like that would be something I would say, because I always recommend a book. Yeah, read the book. Here's the book on the whole subject, you know, and, um, um, and you know, give testimony to the glory that uh, of God uh, as he's done some amazing things in people's lives through community, through genuine relationships of one anothering alongside of each other. And I don't I, you know, if you had a, a kind of a different nuance to that question, I don't know if there's more to that one or. Yeah, no, it, it was, I guess, when I, this was the first church that I really came to understand and to see the impact of community. Mm. Like I've been going to church most of my life, but it wasn't here until I understood that me being part of a body is for the body. So church is just so much more than showing up on Sunday morning, mm. reading a song or singing a song, hearing a sermon, then going out. It's like being part of that community. And through that process, like I'm growing through everybody else and I'm helping them to grow. It's just this back and forth, ebb and flow. Um, right, yeah. So that the word that comes to my mind when I hear you say that is interdependence. And, uh, you know, that we that we have that interdependence and... and um, and as as we live out, you know, I need you, you need me in, in very real ways as God's as God's designed it to be. Again, that's why I think that that is huge in this area that that we we have to see that this is God's design. Like, I mean, we need to operate this way. And, you know, and your comment, you know, is is saddens me. Right. Because you describing a, a life of of. Um, walking out your Christian faith in the context of local churches and and this happens to be where you discovered that reality yeah, no, that, was pretty, that, was sad. that is sad yeah 
Yeah, disappointing, and and again, you know, some people may think, oh, that, well, he must have gone to a whole bunch of cruddy, cruddy churches or something like that. And over time, and and I would I would say no, I'm sure they were good churches with good people in them, but when you don't have that um, shaping according to the biblical principles that Christ set forth for the church that gives it the shape and functional structures that it needs, then you you just you, the sense of community is not there. And um, so, good question. Yeah. Um, well, this this goes back to a little bit. What do I said to my younger self? Like I did not bring older people into my life. And sadly, older people didn't come into my life intentionally either, which is a, a great loss that I think is essential to that sense of community. Back to the other question. But um, so um, but I, I can recall a few people clearly at certain points in times that um, were a significant impact on me in ministry and um, and in my in my personal life, um, but but more you know as we mentioned earlier the ministry of many writers have had a great impact on my life. I, you know I've come to know them. I think God's given certain people you know certainly this call to to capture His Word and and explain it in books and and. Um, so they've had a great impact on me, and they're the ones who have conveyed the surpassing riches of the truths of Christianity and life in Christ to me and stirred me in a longing uh, to, to really do the same. And, you know, if I were to name a few who would um, – uh, I, I know this is going to happen at the end of this. is I'm going to feel guilty because I left somebody off the list. Um, but um, along the way, in different seasons, there's d- certainly been these certain authors that you just kind of fall in love with, and then you and you read everything they write, and and, and of that nature, at least that's been my pattern. And uh, you know, so the these writers have had an impact in my life. R.C. Sproul was one of my professors, and I got to know him more than your average student might have known uh, R.C. and um, John Piper, Larry Crabb, Dallas Willard, C.S. Lewis, the Puritans, Richard Foster, Brother Lawrence. Uh, Richard Lovelace, Oz Guinness, um, I could go on, uh, you know, probably another 25 authors should be on this list, but uh, a whole set of authors who write on ecclesiology, this has been a passion for me to really get this idea of the of the um, biblical theology of the church and really understanding what it is, and, and, and really that's just the beginning, and um, so like I said, I fell in love with learning and reading comes with it, and I learned generally the more you learn the more you realize how little you know, and that extends to gaining a sense of how God, big really God is. And so it's, um, so if I were to think of people, again, uh, the same thing would, would come to mind, but there there were certain times in my life, I guess, the, 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 you know, the, the hard times in your life, you know, and, and these people stand out because you were really needy and, and genuinely needy. Like, I mean, that, that was a thing in my life. So when I was getting toward the end of seminary, um, the journey through seminary was very difficult. We we were early on in our marriage. We have two kids, and as a level of stress of working on a master's degree, I worked like two jobs, worked on a master's degree. My last semester, I had 21 hours of graduate-level coursework. I worked at a church plant. I worked delivering um, washers and dryers for a rent-to-own company. I worked at psych hospitals. Um, I probably averaged about maybe five hours of sleep a night, and it was horrible. It was horrible, not wise. It was just a horrible thing, and I brought it on all myself. It's not like these circumstances did that in my life. But in that time, our marriage was, like, 
in a horrible place. And, um, and, uh, a huge help for me was Steve Brown and, you know, Steve Brown from Key Life Network. Um, you know, he was a professor of mine and, a, and, and just a man who was just for me. And I think for many, you know, you meet him and he treats you like you've known each other for 20 years and you're his best friend. And that, you know, so Steve was that, and I was hurting, and he loved me well. He gave me great, wise counsel. He, uh, whenever I needed him, you know, here he is. He's an author. He's a professor. He's a host on his radio broadcast. He's a pretty well-known guy. And here's his little student suffering, and he and he just let me come and talk to him whenever I wanted to. So he was a huge help. I, you know, I'm not giving any kind of uh, detail to that, but that helps in ministry. So these weren't things that were like, oh, do this when you're preaching, do that, or when you know, kind of thing. These are just like living life and and letting faith have an impact, even on the weight of life when it when it really you know is pressing down on you. So that that was a that was a really helpful time for me when Steve did that and walked with me um, wisely and with love. That was so sustaining and. Um, and then uh, different stages of life and ministry, uh, God's great gave me great friendships and wise counselors who carried me when I when I just couldn't stand, or, and my faith was um, was was shaky, you know, and and I needed people to help me stand. And uh, so in college, I had a f- few professors that got real close to. We still stay in contact even to today. And and then and then a real close friendship in seminary uh, that stuck for years we got together all the time when i was on a sabbatical in 2017 uh, i was out in california we hung out with chuck ryer and carolyn and he was a great friend and we talked all the time and really honest helpful in ministry how to just work out private personal details he was a great friend and sadly you know he died in a tragic accident in 2021 so i, I lost my friend but so um you know, I could say Paul Hubley mentored me early on. Uh, he had a significant impact on me in ministry and, and just being a loving shepherd. Like I'm a I'm a pastor theologian type, and he was not that at all. So he was a great early, uh, and he's a great reminder of me. Like this is, you know, you're loving people. You're walking with people, and he was great at that, and he was a great mentor to have in my life to just say, you know, well, and then and then one last thing, I, I I would have to say, my dad was very helpful. My mom was always a caring, nurturing, counsel person. You know, could work things out. But my dad would just say these succinct things sometimes. And one of them was this that that had an impact on me. Whenever he called me, he'd say, Thomas, are you loving your people? And I'd be like, right, simple, right? And I'm like, of course, Dad. Don't ask such dumb questions. But there was this point in time where I'm like, that is a deep question. Like, my dad is really asking one of the most important questions. Are you loving your people well? And can I, and, and so I started paying attention to that. I even started asking people, like, do you, do you feel like my leadership and my role as a pastor is uh, lived out in a way where you're, where you know you're being loved well? Because I wanted to make sure what my dad was asking was really happening, not like, of course I am. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I would say that. And, and 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 again, I feel guilty already. I probably I know, yeah. Give away three thousand books. There's a lot of authors that have. Yeah, that you know that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, again, um, 
I joke about this. I say it out loud, you know, even when I'm preaching, like, uh, you know, I, I'm eight, you know, um, I don't think I'm fully diagnosed. Oh, oh, my older son would probably say I need Adderall and I do have ADD or whatever. But, um, uh, but, um, so I'm, a, I'm a little all over the place. Um, you know, people have given me nicknames sort of to even poke fun at me related to that. So, so focus right now and me, you know, it's a tough question. Um, but, uh, to zoom in on it, you know, to think about, you know, what has been pressing on me and my leadership and our role as elders here at the chapel is uh, really reinvigorating the body here at the chapel following really the challenging years of COVID. We, we, we have irreverently described emerging out of the dark night of COVID, the COVID hangover. There's, there's this general malaise and lack of vigor and engaging in life intentionally and passionately in ministry. And I don't, it's certainly not biological, but it's certainly all the, all the things that were part of that whole several years. And that still pokes its head into our life, right? Even now. Um, and, uh, you know, so anyway, we call it the COVID hangover. So how do we get over this hangover? You know, what what special drink do you drink that people drink after you know, uh, in a, you know, sinning? Anyway, um, and uh, and and I can say I know I fell victim to it, as I would say all people did, like that 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 malaise and and um, and really uh, lacking life, intentional and passionate, and so so we're seeking to return to recasting of our vision and directing our energies to planning a fresh strategic ministry plan that will set us on an intentional course for the next one, three, five, ten years. And and uh, those uh, this will be both for the chapel and the network of our churches that we've created called the North Central Collective. And uh, we are moving into, um, in that aspect of North Central Collective, you know, how do we genuinely live out what we've um, set forth in our and our operating documents, our constitution as a network of churches. And so there'd be two things always, because I think um, my calling is um, small a apostolic in that I do feel like I have this Pauline impulse to um, to build networks as Paul did. And, and we've done that here um, at the chapel. And so there's, there's, there's that two focus, two pronged focus, I guess, that reinvigorate and, and recast vision and set forth a new plan and uh, and then walk it out uh, robustly and then also to um, begin to develop the functional structures that build a sense of community as a network of churches that would be indicative of what we know we experience here at the chapel as we call ourselves a family of families. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, try to keep it short and give you a summary. We've recognized for ourselves as a local church and 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 the pastors that I kind of walk alongside with in regular rhythms of prayer or pastor lunches and um, so all those uh, churches that we've been connected to in one way or another, you know, either denominationally or just relationally, because pastors know each other, or even just like-minded theologically that we all are as local churches. Um, realizing that it's unlikely and honestly fair to say that as small churches we're incapable of advancing God's plan to bring the gospel to more people and places without a serious commitment to work together. And so um, so the North Central Collective is a serious, intentional um, 
commitment and covenant with each other to work together um, as a group of churches. So we've covenanted together with a group of like-minded churches to be in relationship such that we can strengthen one another's own local churches and start more churches and communities which have a weak gospel presence and, um, you know, and bring into that community a church committed to being a gospel presence and in that community uh, fully committed to um, obviously proclaiming and living out the gospel as a community. So we capture that in our purpose statement, which is on our brochures and in our documents, which says... Uh, the North Central Collective is a collective of like-minded churches who purpose to establish a gospel presence that leads to gospel proclamation in our region. You know, did that sound like a commercial right there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, I, I put on that commercial voice. So anyway, so join now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and as you said, you know, that it, it's true. There's a whole lot more there to unpackage to fully describe the collective and the work it will be to be involved in a way that honors the stewardship God has given to each of us as local churches. And I really hold that word, um, you know, God has stewarded to us a responsibility to be the presence of Christ in the community as a church. So we need to um, fully embody and enact the gospel in meaningful ways. And, and, and we need to, it, we need to do that and help one another to do that well. And the collective is committed in a genuine way to, to accomplish that. So every local church has, has a strength such that they're doing that, like they're stronger and they're they're embodying and enacting the gospel in meaningful ways. And um, and I, you know, I go, I know maybe some people that might be listening in on that, you know, uh, this podcast, you know, would think, oh yeah, isn't that every church? And I'm like, well, you know, listen to the next podcast.